Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to Talking Law, brought to you by the commercial legal practice Aspect Legal. Today, we have a guest on the show, Ben Walker from the accounting firm Inspire. So Ben is the founder and the CEO of Inspire and today talks to us about the difference in types of structures for a business. So if you're interested in structuring for a business or indeed if you're a bit confused about the business structure that you have in place currently for your business, whether or not that is a company or trust or a variation of the two, then listen in to this episode to get all of your questions answered. You're listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Okay, Ben, thank you so much for coming and joining us on Talking Law today. Thanks so much, Joanna, for having me on. Before we get into the nitty-gritty of talking about structures, I've got a couple of questions from your bio that I wanted to ask that I thought were very interesting. One of the things I saw on there was that you have a goal to inspire others to create a business that gives them the freedom to put family first and to make a positive difference in the world. I love that. What a noble goal. But what does that mean in practice? How are you doing that? How do you, how do you give life to that? Yeah, great question. Um, well, the, the whole reason I, I love that mission um, is because, um, you know, a lot of business owners get into business because they want um, freedom of time or money, usually to give back to their families. So they might be working in a job and going, you know, I don't like working till nine o'clock at night or, um, you know, the money I think I can make more running a business. But what normally happens in the reality of running a business is, at least for the first couple of years, that's not really what the reality is. Um, Someone switching from a career into running a business, that's a totally different set of skills. And what we usually find is most businesses don't actually make it past the first couple of years in in business. Um, And that could be, I believe, primarily due to cash flow um, and um, and not uh, knowing their numbers, um, which, um, yeah, I guess that's where uh, we come in as accountants. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I mean, it's fascinating that you talk about the number of business failure that you see. And, and I presume when you say business failure, it's not necessarily businesses having to wind up or being insolvent, but also I, I guess perhaps the majority of that is people just saying, I can't make a good living out of this. I'm, I'm headed back, <laughs> back to the employed workforce. Is that what you mean? Is that the majority of what you see in the business owners you're dealing with? Yeah, a bit of both actually. So some some people are actually quite happy making sort of um, uh, the same sort of money but running their business. But unfortunately, we do see them either go backwards or not really make a profit. And um, after a couple of years of that, the, the business owners really get sick of the, you know, time, effort, and and um, you know, and, and blood, sweat, and tears that goes into um, starting and running a business. It's it's an interesting point. I um now I now I'm going to kick myself because I haven't looked at these statistics for a while, and 
I like actual statistics. I'm sure you do too, being an accountant, Ben. But um, so we'll just have to talk about the um, the approximates. But I recall a few years looking a few years ago looking at some ABS statistics that talked about the number of small businesses, so the owners of small businesses, when compared to the number of hours that they were putting in, were actually earning less than the minimum wage for in comparison to the numbers that they were putting the the hours that they were putting in. And I look. Looked at those statistics, and I just thought, "Gee, I just can't, I can't believe, I, I, I can't believe what an issue this is for for businesses and for business owners who are trapped in this cycle of having started businesses, you know, putting in massive hours, and you know, getting themselves in the situation though where they're not able to pull the value out of the business that effectively that they're putting in, you know, that they that they might be better economically speaking if they were being employed by someone else. How do businesses get themselves out of that cycle? How do businesses make sure they're not going to be one of those numbers? And of course, here we're talking about small businesses, but many medium-sized businesses start off as a small business and have to find a way through this impasse to get themselves into a larger size. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, even just to add to that, it's not just the, um, the, the, the business or that person that's struggling. It's usually their relationships, you know, with their family or spouse and that, that also really suffers as well, you know, from the 40, 50, 60 hours a week they put into it. But um, how, how we kind of help out is um, actually my business partner, Harvey, and I have just written a book. It's called um, Cashed Up. Um, and in there, we actually outline seven smart financial decisions um, to help small businesses pull more time, money, and happiness out. Now, one of those out of the seven is actually cutting their tax. And uh, for um, most of the clients, that's the first step we take them through because, unfortunately, in Australia, a lot of people pay way more tax than they need to. And and we believe in everyone paying their fair share. We don't believe in not paying tax because that usually means uh, you're either probably uh, doing tax evasion or you're not earning much money at all. But uh, we believe in everyone paying their fair share. But what we see is that uh, business owners often pay thousands, if not tens of thousands more than they need to. And why? Why is this? I mean, I've got I've got some ideas. I'll throw in soon some examples that I have seen where this is absolutely the case. But it, maybe if you can tell us from your perspective, why 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 does this happen? Yeah. Um, I. Well, basically, uh, there's a number of different ways you can um, structure a business that you can prepare a set of accounts from uh, like a tax perspective. Um, and there's um, things like small business concessions that the ATO um, and the government give us. Um, but the problem is accountants aren't uh, picking up on all of this stuff that they can do to help their clients um, the most. And, you know, my, my personal belief is that's because accountants are usually focused on billing hours and that's how they make money. Um, so the more hours they bill, uh, You'd be familiar with this in law. The uh, you know the bigger the bill to the client, which means you know I get paid, or my manager's happy, or the partner's happy. Um, now that focuses way too much on internal meaningless statistics and not the outcome to the client. Now, there is a different way to do that, uh, and, and what's important to us as Inspire is that our accounting fees must not be more than the tax we're saving a client. In fact, uh, last financial year, on average, we saved our clients $18,000 in tax uh, and we cost them six grand a year. So a three times ROI. We don't do timesheets, don't bill by the hour. And, and that, I believe, is a much better focus that our team has, which is actually the impact on our clients. Great. Fabulous. But how are you doing it? How, how are you saving organizations tax? 
What are the mistakes? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, so some of the mis- uh, mistakes are poor business structures. Uh, so I think we, we might touch on a bit of that in the um, podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and the other things we see are small business tax concessions not being used. Um, you know, the accountant's not asking the right questions to the clients like, you know, do you even use a, a home office or, um, you know, are there any other family members that we may be able to distribute some income to? Um, you know, they might not uh, know or understand or want to use things like bucket companies, uh, which which I can touch on. But we, we actually have a list of 56 strategies that we use to save tax. And so uh, for every client, uh, before we do the, or finish their tax returns, we run those scenarios uh, past each job. And again, our team and, and, and our firm is focused on the, the, the dollars of tax savings for our clients. Okay, well, look, let's, let's get into structure then. Um, you you uh, touched on it. That's what really we, we, we were thinking we might um, talk about and debate today. Um, I say debate because sometimes an approach from a legal perspective might be somewhat a little bit different, you know, sometimes to an accounting perspective as well. So I, I think structure is one of those um, things that many business owners don't completely understand. Quite often they end up in a structure and they don't know why they're in that kind of structure and they don't understand what the alternatives are that are available for other structures. So let's talk about structure. What structures... From your perspective, from an accounting perspective, um, do we have as options and, you know, what what are the best? Yeah, no worries. Well, um, I guess there's three main categories of structures that we use to um, run businesses, um, and those three are sole trader, company, or trust. Um, now, when, when I'm talking about trust, and some people know that as a family trust or a discretionary trust. Um, now, there's usually three differences. I guess, you know, we should say there are different type of trusts. You can have unit trusts, which are effectively fixed trusts, but but here today maybe we'll just sort of keep it to the family or discretionary trust just because that's, um, you know, it's something that's perhaps more widely used than, than the unit and fixed trusts. Okay, sorry, take it away. Yeah, yeah, no, and we can even touch on that too. Um, but, yeah, the three um, differences I usually talk about is their tax rate, um, their ability to plan for tax, and then also asset protection. Now, um, sole traders aren't very favourable at all, um, and that's because as a sole trader, you can pay up to 47% tax. It's actually 55% if you've got a hex debt. Um, so that's that's the amount you can pay up to. Um, also, they give you very little ability to plan for tax um, and zero asset protection at all. Um, so at Inspire, we actually don't recommend anyone trades as a sole trader. And um, yeah, we have a sort of brief conversation about that at the start if we are talking structures. And then that's the last we mention. <laughs> mm, well, I'll pipe in with the legal um, approach here. We um, wholeheartedly agree with your approach there, Ben. <laughs> we, we, we don't love <laughs> sole trading um, entities as a structure or sole, sole traders as as an approach to structure given that, you know, the, the individual who's the sole trader effectively is exposed to the liabilities of the business. So, you, you know, we see it as a highly exposed type of way to approach a business. So we're on the same page so far. I love it, Ben. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All awesome. right. Well, let's move on. So, so let's say we've decided that sole trader – um, doesn't work for us from a business perspective. What do we? What What are our options then um, as alternatives? Yeah, so that leaves us with the uh, company or the trust. 
Um, now, on, on those same three comparisons, the, the tax rate of a company, um, if you're running a small business in that company, the tax rate is 27.5% currently if your turnover is up to $25 million. Um, now, if your turnover is more than $25 million, uh, your tax rate is 30%. Now, um, the 30% tax rate also applies if that company is um, uh, receiving investment income. Um, so companies do pay tax, and they're the two tax rates. Um, now, if we jump over to the trust, um, I usually uh, write that tax act- trusts actually don't pay tax uh, and write a 0% there. And, and that doesn't mean that if we structure as a trust, then um, you know we, we get out of paying tax completely. That's not the case. Uh, but trusts give their profit to other family members or, or entities in the family group, and, and then those people or entities pay the tax for the trust. One of the issues is that when we're talking about the difference between companies and trusts in income distribution and tax rate and all of those sorts of things, is trusts can obviously be effective if you have someone to distribute you know, income to who is on a lower tax rate. But of course, many business owners, many business owners that we deal with don't have anyone to distribute to that's on a lower tax rate. So, so therefore, in, in that case, what are the benefits of trusts? Yeah. Um, well, From an accounting perspective, I can certainly say, you know, there is an asset protection possible for trusts that maybe um, isn't as applicable to companies, but where, where trust is the vehicle that's running the business, that isn't as relevant. But from an accounting perspective, what do you see as, you know, the effective difference if there's no ability to distribute to someone on lower tax rate? Because, of course, having a company, if, if you're the sole owner of a company, you don't have other partners available. There are other ways also to have family members involved. You know, you, family members could be employees and they could be paid a wage. You know, there are ways to deal with distribution to family members for actual work that they're providing to the organisation, I guess. Yeah, well, um uh, well, I guess the differences between company and trust are usually references. It's the way that you take the money out. Now, you've you've touched on getting the family involved. Um, now, with a trust, you can distribute that profit to um, basically anyone in your sort of immediate or, or connected family. You know, there's a fair bit of detail of some limitations to that, which are you know, probably not the place to go into. But yeah, like things like children, grandchildren, brothers, sisters, mums, dads, uncles, um, that sort of thing is fairly easy to. To distribute some money to. And what's the age with, with kids? It, because, of course, it can't distribute to, um, I might like to distribute it to my toddlers at the moment, but <laughs> I can't do that, right? Or I'd be paying 66% or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could, but their tax-free threshold is only $416, um, and then they start paying tax at 47%. So, um, yeah, we can only give them uh, just under half a grand each. And so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, having kids for tax purposes is usually not the best idea. <laughs> I like that. Oh, that's where I went wrong. <laughs> I thought they were going to be useful for tax purposes. Yeah, so unfortunately, you've got to wait until the 18. Ago. Right, 18. Okay, so 18 is our uh, is our critical age. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, I mean, you know, you're setting up this business now and I guess you have to look into the future. So if you have a young family or indeed no children yet but but you know perhaps might one day then I, I guess maybe you're setting this up for what you might be able to do 
um, in 15, 20 years' time. Yeah, exactly right. Like even when we're looking at structuring, we do consider that. Like that the, the client might have um, kids who are sort of, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And we, we say, look, they're not going to be very helpful now, but in three or four years' time, um, they're going to be amazing. <laughs> They'll be your best friend. Let's take a short break. When we get back, Ben and I continue our discussion on the differences between a company structure versus a trust structure. This time we draw a comparison of the tax issues from a business sale perspective, whether it's a sale of the business itself or a sale of the shares to the business. And that's next. You are listening to Joanna Oki and Talking Law, brought to you by Aspect Legal. Looking for a top quality legal team to assist you in your organisation? Aspect Legal is an innovative commercial legal practice that specialises in providing fast and professional services for their clients. If you'd like to chat about how we might be able to assist you, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a time for a free discussion with one of our lawyers. While you are there, you might also like to check out our innovative product, Legal on Tap. Our SME version of this product provides a business with access to a team of lawyers to answer questions as they come up in the business. And our large business version also provides this access to our team of lawyers to ask questions, but it also provides a wide range of online-based training in contract law for non-lawyers. Both of these products are available for a ridiculously low monthly price. If you're interested, simply head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au and check out our legal on-tap pages or head over to our contact page and submit a form to let us know that you would like more information. Welcome back. Earlier, we got to know Ben and his life mission to inspire others to create a business that gives them the freedom to put family first and to make a positive difference in the world. Ben talked about how he gives life to this mission at his accounting firm, which he aptly named Inspire. We then talked about the key reasons why most businesses fail and end up paying more tax than they need to. And indeed, having a poor business structure is considerably one of the main causes for this. So just before the break, Ben ran us through the key differences between the three main categories for business structures, sole trader, company and trust. Now let's jump back to our conversation with Ben and compare company structure versus a trust structure from a business sale perspective. So I guess we have from an accounting perspective then we have this uh, we have this approach between companies and trusts structures mm. in relation to how the income is dealt with. So in the company structures, we've discussed it's taxed within the company. For a trust, it is the income is distributed through the trust and to the individuals who the beneficiaries and taxed 
at that individual level in relation to the beneficiaries. Maybe let's, I think one of the important elements here to talk about is because at the moment we're talking about this from um, sort of an annual income perspective. There is also a relevance if um, business owners are building a business to sell into the future, right? Because we've got this capital gain. So let's talk about the differences of a capital, of capital gain in a company versus through a trust structure that you might be using for a business? Yeah. Um, well, I guess, Joanna, I've got a question for you. If a, um, if a business is usually sold um, that's running in a company, are most sales the sale of the business or the sales of the shares in that company? Mm. It, that is, that's a great question, Ben, because I find that um, many people these days assume that most most sales and acquisitions will happen as a business sale, um, mm-hmm. and and we'll talk soon about what what that means effectively from a um, perspective of looking company versus trust, but we do see a lot of share sales because a lot a lot of our clients a lot of clients that are referred into us will be um, uh, operating out of a company structure rather than a trust structure and given the things that we're about to talk about the reasons we're about to talk about it's more effective for them to sell the shares rather than to sell the business out of the company um, and in those cases there there are many many instances where we're able to um, get the result of a share sale rather than a business sale one of the issues in getting buyers to agree to purchase shares rather than the business as a whole is because purchasing the shares in a company means that you purchase all the skeletons effectively that are in the closet of that company. But we then on the flip side deal with that in terms of warranties and indemnities and we, you know, we have ways around dealing with that. So I think generally speaking, I mean, it's hard to say because some of the business sales we deal with are out of entities where it has to be a business sale rather than a share sale. But when we're talking about sales out of company structures, you know, I, I don't, the smaller the business, the more likely it is to be a business sale rather than a share sale. But these larger businesses, um, and you know, as business owners, we most of us are building a business with the idea of it being a larger business at some stage at the point of sale. For the larger businesses, in in you, you know, I, I'd say maybe it's a fifty fifty. We we're um, c- there's a high likelihood that we're able to push through a share sale in those instances. But I, I guess here, and, and I think this links back to, well, if you've got a company structure, why do you want to enforce a share sale rather than a business sale? And maybe you can talk to us a bit about what those taxation issues are. If you're, you know, if you're a company structure and you're selling a business out of the company versus selling the shares. Yeah, no worries. And, and so I guess the, the distinction there is um, a business sale is more of a sale of the intangible goodwill of the business and they're buying like the rights to continue to run that versus you actually selling your shares in your company so that you, non, you no longer own Inspire accounting firm PTYLTD. That's that's the sort of distinction. And so um, one of the big capital gains tax questions is, um, like, let's say you sold a business in a company for a million dollars. Now, uh, one one thing that you want to look at is, do you any do you get any concessions or discounts in that company? And and what we're looking at is capital gains tax discounts. Now, most people know there's a discount uh, for capital gains tax if you own an asset for more than twelve months. And so in the case of a rental property, 
If you own that in your own name for more than 12 months and then you sell it for a gain, let's say you sold it for a hundred grand, you pay tax on only 50% of that or $50,000. So it can be quite beneficial for tax. Now, companies, if they sell assets that they own, such as a business, they don't actually get that 50% capital gain discount if they own that or been running the business for more than 12 months. Compare that to a trust though. If a trust sells a business, they do get access to that 50% 12-month um, discount. Mm. Okay, and and I think you know that that's a key that that's a key relevant um, issue for people to consider if they're oper- if they're going to choose a company structure to operate out of. If they're going to sell in the future, then the best way for them to sell generally is to sell the shares in the company rather than for the company to sell the business. But from Mm. a buyer's perspective, sometimes that's not as attractive. So, you know, you might reduce your pool of buyers or you might have to make some other concessions in negotiations in order to get that outcome. But trusts, on the other hand, the only thing you can do if if you've got a discretionary trust that's part of the... you know, entity that's that is the trading entity of the business is to is to sell the business because you can't sell a trust. You can with units, but um, with a discretionary trusts, there's all sorts of issues if you're changing the beneficiaries. So effectively, it has to be a business sale, and so there's no question about whether it's a share sale or business sale. You're selling the business, and therefore the individuals who make the capital gain from that sale get access to this 50% CGT concession. I guess the other issue with companies is if you sell the business out of the company you also you get so the company itself then um, gets the funds for the sale so let's say you, you sold it for a million dollars you are taxed at approximately 30 percent or 27 percent or whatever it is at the time that you sell it so you pay let's say 270 grand to the government well you still have to get the rest of those proceeds out of the company and that can be a real difficulty in in reality in practice is that right Ben yeah absolutely like um, if we jump back to trusts and where they give their profit to um, family members there doesn't need to be any justification um, you know, if they're working, they don't have to be working in the business for them to actually receive that profit. Um, they just need to be allowed to receive that uh, under the trust deed, which is like the rules of the trust and obviously allowable under tax law. Um, now, if we compare that to a company, a company can only pay a salary to people who have actually earned it. Um, and that's to stop uh, what's happened in the past where, let's say, um, you know, doctors who might be earning half a million dollars in in um, in their name or in a company, they employ their spouses as bookkeepers for a hundred and twenty thousand dollars salary. Um, and so, um, yeah, to come back and call that tax evasion. So, uh, <laughs> so you can't exactly pay a salary from a company to other family members who haven't actually earned the money. And the other thing that's tricky about getting cash out of companies is that if you do it as a salary, like even to you as the business owner or or your spouse, if they work in the business. Um, then there is no choice. You have to pay superannuation on top of that salary. And that's at that uh, 9.5%. Yeah. So I think then we can see the difference here from a sale perspective. If you want the greatest flexibility in terms of sale, maybe a trust structure is a really good structure to adopt when running a business. But if you have a company structure, then 
you, you can get the same results in terms of the tax outcomes, but you need to achieve that by a share sale. And with a share sale, of course, the beneficiaries of the mm-hmm. capital gain are the people who are actually the shareholders of the company, right? So, you know, if at that point you would prefer, you know, for some of the funds to go to shareholders and some to go to non-shareholders, you've got an issue because the funds have to go to whoever the shareholders are. And of course, this is sometimes why people will have a company structure, but will have a their discretionary trust holding the shares within the company. Well, that's it for this episode with Ben Walker of Inspire. Join us again next week for the second half of our interview with Ben. In part two, Ben and I talk about the practical reality of running these different structures and how complex business structures can cause business sale and purchase transactions to fall over completely. We also discuss the concept of superannuation and multi-layer structuring. To get notified when we release part two, please subscribe to the Talking Law podcast on your iPhones or on Stitcher for Android to get updates straight to your mobile phones. Now, thanks a lot for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au.